Welcome back. As I said to you this morning, we begin our interviews pretty early. And we have joining us at this point in time a gentleman who will speak to us about some of the things that we've been seeing. One of that is bandits in police uniform, citizens in fear. We've been hearing about it, we've been speaking about it for a long period of time, and here to speak to us some more about it this morning. Let's welcome to our program security analyst, retired Major Dirk Barnes. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning to you. Nice to have you with us here this morning. Let's begin by allowing you to familiarize our listeners with you. Tell us a bit about yourself, some of the things that you've been involved in, and so on. Okay, well, um, good morning to the 105 family and the listeners this morning on Trans Tobago and beyond. Well, I'm Dirk Barnes. I am currently the Chief Executive Officer for a company called Air Support Tactical Security Limited. Um, we're well known in the security sector for GPS tracking, um, home security, business security. Uh, my background, I come from the Trans Tobago Regiment. I served there for just under two decades. Uh, took an early retirement to join the private sector. And, um, sorry, <laughs> I said one of, one of six, not one of five, one of six. All right, and um, as well as we, well, what I'm really and truly involved in is more of the technical surveillance part of um, of the security spectrum. So I'm involved in technical surveillance, some um, countermeasures, um, technology, asset management in terms of security, asset management or asset risk management. Um, so that's where my resume would have um, would have been extended to. Mm. We've been having a discussion in this country for a long period of time, and we've not been able to make any kind of headway regardless of what the police and the army and others would say to us when it comes to cracking down on criminals wearing what seems to be legitimate army and police fatigue. And it's a worrying situation because the public don't know who to trust because bandits looking just like police and army. And we even have a case where in Mayaro, a family was robbed. And when they went into the police station, they saw one of the individuals or persons that they claim was one of the individuals who robbed them. And we've not, well, the last thing we hear is that police let go the man. So as somebody who's been involved in this industry for such a long period of time, and you would have been able to probably have experience with this, this is this not happening today, it's happening for a long period of time. What's going on? Is it that we actually have people within the protective services who are robbing people and putting on work, as we say in this country? Well, I will not um, play naive and pretend as though that is not a possibility. Chances are you do have a small percentage of the armed forces and the law enforcement fraternity that are involved in criminal activity. The challenge I have right now, however, is um, the narrative that is being controlled and is being controlled from not just the public at large, but also the media, because there's not much injection from the media into getting into what really transpired. So let's let's use the example of the Mayaro incident. Um, you said that the guy was released. Um, now the Puerto and Tobago Police Service would have conducted its its investigations, and I I have not been following up on that particular investigation. But from what I have heard so far, is that right after the or after the incident that allegedly occurred the victims would have gone to the station and would have recognized a person in uniform and would have identified that person in uniform 
after that, of course, that person is going to be interviewed. Um, information is going to have to corroborate his, um, his alibi. And he's going to be put on an ID parade with pe other people who resemble, um, who resemble him in the same uniform. Now, if the victims are unable to identify him, that is going to create some doubt that he is actually perpetrator. I am. I would challenge any one of the media houses to really investigate and find out if that occurred. What, where the investigation went beyond that. To, so to just simply say that the person was released could very well be that he was not involved and that the victim was mistaken. I am not jumping to any conclusion at this point in time until the matters do come out and the person is brought before the courts. Now, I want to remind everyone at the 106 family that... You know, everyone is innocent until proven guilty. It's not the other way around. So as much as I do, I am very concerned about what would have happened to that Mayaro family and the victims. I am also concerned that casting aspersions too early on an innocent um, accused could very well damage his career, damage his life, damage his family life, because you know how these things go into people getting threats. So let's not be very... Um, aggressive in trying to cast blame at this point in time because we still don't know what's happening but you see but as it that's mm -hmm. that that's all well and good to say that somebody's presumed innocent until proven guilty and, and that's according to the law but there are things about this case this one in particular forget all the others that we've had reports on there are things about this case in particular that i find really troubling and i'll tell you the first one the first one is if the individual was positively identified by the victims, how do we arrive at a situation where the victim's identification is being questioned? Why is the victim's ident identification being questioned? That's the first question that I think the police need to answer. Because they didn't just walk in the police station and pick up anybody at random, you know. The, the people went there to, to make a follow-up report. They went to the for something related to the very same act that was perpetrated against them. And they said to the police, look the man there, that is one of the men who rob us. How much more do you need in a situation like that? And I understand that the investigation needs to go on, but there are members of the public, and I might be coming to the same conclusion as well, that the police protecting their own. And I'll tell you why I say that. Because to charge this one man would mean that the other people, because we were told it was six of them, three police officers and three soldiers who went to the people place and robbed them. And I am of the opinion, and I don't know, I might be wrong, you'll tell me if I'm wrong to come to this opinion, I am of the opinion that this matter is going to be swept under the carpet because to identify that individual would mean that he needs to identify the next five of them. And in identifying the next five of them, you're going to open a can of worms that, that probably the police service don't want to open because you're going to have to identify three police officers and two more soldiers. And we have reports across this country of people in black SUV with blue flashing lights wearing soldier uniform and police uniform robbing people. So how do we bring this matter to the public's satisfaction if we are not ready at all to even begin? Because I don't think the investigation going anywhere again. We've not had any updated information. Am I wrong to come to the conclusions that I've come to? I would argue that you are because there's a big part of this that I'm and I say big part because I know the internal processes very well 
um, that has been absent of absent in the in the media. The Trinidad Tobago Defence Force, specifically the regiment. Now, I know Colonel Charles personally, um, the last hero I remember of the Trinidad Tobago Regiment, and I'm almost sure, almost sure, that a board of inquiry would have already ensued into that soldier's involvement. Now, I don't know about the Trinidad Tobago Police Service and who will cover for who and all these different things, but the Trinidad Tobago Defence Force, specifically the regiment, is very meticulous as it goes into where soldiers are deployed, the after-action reports, where they would have been at a particular time. They would also go into the deployment reports because that soldier that was involved is going to have a corporal that he has to report that he had to report to, that will have to report to a sergeant, that have to report to an officer, who will have to report to a commanding officer. And all of those reports are in the system. And had he fudged anything, it will very well indicate where he was at a particular point in time. So I am not even concerned about that part of it. If it was just a bunch of police officers, then I will say, yeah, you really can't trust what mm. would be coming out, who covered for who. But I don't see in any one of the um the reports coming out of the media where we find instances where where police are covering for soldiers. So I I, I would find that hard to believe now because that has not been the history between the two organizations. Well, you see, whether you find it hard to believe or not, there's one there's one thorn in the side of the entire thing, and that is that this person was positively identified by the victims. Now, no one has said to us thus far that the identification was wrong, you know. That has not come out. And trust me, if that information was there, we would have heard about it. The media would have heard about the person was, was, uh, was mistakenly identified or that kind of thing. Nowhere. Have we been really told not. that? This is why I would challenge. This is why I would challenge the media, because I've seen on instances, and unfortunately, I've also been the victim of instances with the media, where after the situation has changed and the narrative has changed, the media do, does no further follow up. So I would challenge you that that did the media really go back to Mayaro and check to make sure that the person was identified in an in, if the person was put before an identification parade mm. and the outcome of that in, um, identification parade did that actually happen? Mm. Okay, I understand the point that you're making, and it's a relevant point in the discussion, but there are some overarching things that that are difficult, and you would appreciate as well how difficult it is to get certain elements of information from the police service. If they want to tell you, you could do what you want, you can't find out. And, 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 and that, me, that in itself, that. <laughs> that in itself promotes the discussion that this matter is going to be swept under the carpet simply because of what's at stake. Because, well, uh, as I said to you, it, are we looking here at the evidence that the nation has been been searching for such a long period of time to justify all the reports that there's a black SUV with flashing lights and police and soldiers that put on walk all over the place. And, 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 and I, would, I, would, I would have expected that a matter like this would have been given more attention and would have been dealt with in a more expeditious manner simply because you have the integrity of the police and army at stake and you have the public's faith in these two institutions hanging in the balance. That, that's just my take on it. Um, we are speaking this morning, ladies and gentlemen, with our special guest. And, of course, that's uh, Dirk Brandt. We are dealing with the issue of what's going on. We've been hearing these reports of bandits in police uniforms putting fear in citizens 
story ran in the Guardian newspaper, a whole feature piece. And of course, uh, our special guest, Dirk Barnes, retired major security analyst. Yeah. Let's take a couple of your calls. 627 uh, Let's see who's with us. Hello, good morning. A pleasant good morning, Satish, and a pleasant good morning to your guests. Satish, I've, I've been following your argument, and the officer is right. Satish, it is not... Whereas I am very, very careful and I am very much concerned about crime, maybe as much as you are and other people. The thing is that if someone is um, identified, quote-unquote identified, it not necessarily mean that that is the person. Now, I understand a lot of things, but in an identification parade, there are other persons, you know, seven or eight other persons, and that is how an identification is done. Apart from that, sometimes you do not have people, you do not have participants to, to participate. Carrie Central, a, yeah. with the greatest of respect this morning, right? No, I want we, to balance Yeah, yeah, yeah I understand. I understand. I understand the legalities of what uh, a, a thorough identification parade entails. There are a couple different people who look the same way. You're at a point, they're mounting, you're going right. to touch them and say, well, this is the man and all that kind of thing. But what we are dealing with here is somebody who said to the police, you see that man there? I want the men who robbed me. Right. I know that has happened in the past. And Satish, I say, therefore, there should be a very, very speedy investigation and this matter be dealt with. And you may be right. This matter, if it prolongs, it can very well be swept under the carpet. And you are right again. If this matter takes a long time, it can die a natural death and the, the victim may not get um, justice. I, I would agree with you on that part. But as I was um, mm. uh, reiterating earlier on, the legal process has to take place. But you are right. It can take place speedily. And uh, if it is that this matter is dealt with and the, um, the, the person pointed out is the culprit, it will set a good example to others in this country. And that I will support 100%. I thank you. Enjoy. Thank you so much for your call. Let's take another call. Hello. Good morning. Morning, Satish. Morning to your guest, listeners, Princess Song. That is, this matter in Niaro is a very, very serious matter that hinges on overall national security. And citizens have been crying out for years now, incident after incident. And if I was the Minister of National Security or even the Prime Minister, I would have ensured that this matter would have been treated with a level of urgency, let all the, the systems and the bureaucracy, whatever have to happen, processes, take place urgently. Because you are talking about confidence in the police service, in the protective services. I mean, we have heard that we have ammunition, shells, and so on, belonging to the security services, have been found on crime scenes in Trinidad and Tobago over and over again. And I will not accept the theorizing and bureaucratizing and intellectualizing of this matter. The citizens is owed nothing less. We this is our right. National security and safety, human, this is our right. Mm, okay. And I condemn the laissez-faire approach by the security authorities in treating with this matter. Okay, we thank you so much for your call, Princess. I want to keep the calls short so we can probably get as many in as possible. Uh, Mr. Barnes, do, do you think that the, the protective services, the police, the army, and others have dealt with these allegations that have been leveled against the organization and its members? 
you think they've dealt with them properly or that it, it was not it was not dealt with in a matter that um, it was done once and for all and people have no ambiguity in their mind as to whether or not there are members who are engaging and are not being brought to justice well, what's your opinion my opinion really and truly is that the armed forces and law enforcement fraternities they have not yet realized that times have changed and we are much smarter we are much brighter and i'm saying we now the stakeholders the public we can see more we can hear more more information is passed on social media than it was 30 years ago so the defense force and the police that existed three decades ago two decades ago must adapt to what's happening right now we have outgrown internal investigations we have outgrown organizations like the police complaints authority what we need in this country is a national type of investigation bureau that focuses on politicians that focuses on the armed forces and the public service on the whole even the law enforcement fraternity does investigation and has powers to, to take these people has power powers of arrest and powers to take these people before the courts mm. in other words the police for the police now people might think this is a far-fetched um concept but let's look at in other jurisdictions you have the fbi you have scotland yard you have all these other areas we can have a new entity that has powers of the police that could arrest the commissioner if the commissioner was doing something wrong but instead what we have is an impotent organization called the police complaints authority that investigates um the, the police service but then has to report the matter to the police service for the police service to take these persons before the court mm -hmm. so it, it's it's ridiculous and what you have as well is the police the complaints authority and where do we recruit investigators sometimes people from the police service what about the professional so, standards bureau what is their jurisdiction right so the psb exists within the police service and the psb is uh we all familiar with the u.s term internal affairs they invest they, they investigate internally now it's interesting and i have to verify this but the psb came out during mr gibbs's time as commissioner this from the information i have and i could be wrong this wasn't a birth child of any local local born commissioner of police so this PSB concept, we only know we're hearing about it as more and more officers come out. But again, you have mm. officers that are investigating officers. We need an organization that has nobody that had any prior service in the police service, the public sector. In fact, we need an organization that we can actually bring in people from outside, coming from Canada, coming from the U.S., unemployed, to investigate crimes in this country, political crimes, police crimes, defense force crimes, public sector crimes. We need people to come in and do that and mm -hmm. have it and have them reporting and have them prosecuting and taking people before the courts. Yeah. Because we have outgrown this current arrangement. And I don't know how come people can't see that. Mm. What is your what, what what is your opinion on the call for polygraphing of members of the Ministry of National Security? Well, this is something that goes on already. And mm -hmm. polygraphing is a type of, of um, stress recognition. There's also voice stress as well. So you have polygraph, which stands for polygraph, where they, they take three different or uh, four different types of inputs. Most of the times it'll be your breathing, your blood pressure, galvanized skin re um, response. And then you also have voice stress analysis, which is another type of, as they quote in the media, the lie detection, but it's called um, deception detection. Yeah. Um, I'm a voice stress technician as well, so I have done voice stress. I, I have trained people within the defense force who do voice stress. So this is something that has been going on for years. It is not anything new. It okay. can be used to sift people through the system, but 
in terms of using it to prosecute, we are not there yet with the laws. And, and in our jurisdictions, no one is there yet with the laws. Say again? No, no, I was listening to you. Yeah, no one is there, there yet with the laws. So it is something that is happening already. The okay. politicians tout it around and say, we're going to polygraph and we're going to do this. But the police and the, and the defense force have been doing this for years. Mm. They have their own technicians to do it as well. So we are being fed something to pacify us. But I'm coming back. I am trying to get people to understand that in order for the police service to start to go up in their um, public trust, we need, as citizens, need to see people being taken out of the police service and being treat treated for what they are, criminals. Yeah. We're always hearing, and I, I want to jump back, uh, jump back a few years. There was an incident where a guard emergency branch um, person was killed in the Lavantil area. Shortly after that, uh, two patrols of vehicles went into Lavantil and they stopped three men. And when they stopped those three men, there was gunfire. And then the narrative came out that the men pulled out a gun and the officers in fear for their lives and in, in following their use of force policy, returned fire and the three men were deceased. Then we saw the video that they did not know was happening at the point in time, the CCTV footage, and we saw something completely different. So if you want to talk about the Miaro, let's talk about that. Where, where did that go? Where, how, did that, how did the media let that, let that die? We had all kind of riots in Port of Spain shortly after, and that is dead. Nobody asked what happened to those officers, and I'm sure the officers are probably on suspension, being paid. What is happening with that particular um, investigation? Three innocent men were killed by police on CCTV, and nobody speaks about these guys because they're from, maybe they're from Lavantil, so it's not important to the public. Well, we I think that matter. That matter, I, I, I am subject to correction, but I do think charges were preferred in that matter, or at least the, the um, Police Complaints Authority had submitted its report. I, I don't know, because we had spoken I, to David I'm West on it. I'm glad you said that. They submitted a report, the impotent PCA. That's all they can do, submit a report. We need to move away from that. Those guys in other jurisdictions would have been handcuffed, arrested, and before the courts, and possibly prosecuted and convicted by now. In Trinidad and Tobago, we accept that once you do an investigation and submit a report, you earn your salary. Come on, we have moved from that. Mm. As I said before, we are smarter, we are much more informed, we are seeing things. Let's go to another another, um, another thing. Right now, we spent hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, on body cameras. I am yet to hear that a police officer, all right, would have gone on one of these raids or something like that and everything went perfect and body camera footage was checked. We, are keep, we keep hearing about these things, or that, that these technologies exist and we're using it and all these different things. Those are the things that need to come out. Now, in my mind, right now, the commissioner of police, the present one, and past commissioners really do want to see the, um, the rural police officers taken out of the police service. Wow. But they have to wake up and realize that these are not just constables. Because if you and I have a conversation and saying this has gone on for years, all right, because you started off by saying that a while ago, this situation has gone on for years, it means that when you first heard about it, let's just say it was 20 years ago, it means that that 20 year ago, a constable is now an ACP or, or senior super or something in the service right now, not so? So we have senior people who have been part of these bad habits and they have not yet been weeded out. Mm. Well, so we I'll, have to wake up and realize the implication. I, I understand what you're saying. Um, there's an element of, of 
or, or rather I should say there was a development in the Mayaro's story that I don't think has been publicized at all. I have not heard it anywhere. I've not seen it anywhere. When we come back after these messages, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you about this development in the Mayaro incident, and then people might be able to judge for themselves whether or not the authorities are dragging their feet in investigating this one. Stay with us. Welcome back. It's about 14 minutes before 7. Our special guest this morning, uh, security analyst, retired Major Dirk Barnes. We're talking about several things related to law enforcement. Uh, this um, development that we've had for quite some time, allegations of persons in uniform representing various arms of the Ministry of National Security are engaged in crime. And there's an, an, an incident in particular that has, has uh, gripped the nation's attention. They're looking on as what's going on. That's a, a robbery that took place in Mayara where a family was saying that they were robbed by um, persons in a black SUV with blue flashing lights and the three people were wearing, three of them were wearing army camouflage and three others were wearing what appeared to be police uniforms. Uh, we had an individual who was identified in a police station. Uh, he has since been released. We, know, we don't know where the investigation is, but I have often said to you all that the police service has at its disposal technology that you and I do begin to understand. And the police service has at its disposal technology that can identify certain things using cell phone and, and whatever else. It has, I, I, I've not seen it, I've not heard it, and if anybody has, uh, let me know through our messages. It's being reported that the family found a cell phone in their house that belongs to one of the bandits. And that this cell phone was taken to the Mayaro police station by the family. And that the cell phone had on it a lot of information that would identify who the owner of the cell phone is. Now, if a situation like that exists where a piece of evidence like that was presented, would we not have expected to have heard more about this case than we are hearing at this point in time? It is also being reported that the other, well, let me just say officers, the other people who are accused of being a part of this comes from a different police jurisdiction and that they have been identified one way or another by persons who are involved one way or another. So this is information that I'm sure the public has not heard before. I, I, when I read the story in the newspapers and so on, I did not hear that there was this cell phone that was left by the perpetrators at the scene and that it was taken to the Mayaro police station. Mr. Barnes, with that kind of information at hand, would, would you not expect that the case be expedited or that we, the nation, be hearing more about it? No, I would, my expectations and the reality would be two different things. The, my expectations is yes, I would I would hope that the police service would be as clairvoyant and as transparent as possible, and they would come out and present this information. But reality is the police service will not. 
and that's for their own um their own purposes and especially legal requirements you know not to prejudice any piece of evidence they would keep that out of the public domain now i will tell you this much whatever pops up in terms of evidence as provided by the victims is going to have to be scrutinized by the investigators and from the minute you start to talk about a telephone i know that this is going to end up in another department within the police service which is going to be the cyber department an undermanned department unfortunately and that cyber department will have to look at that particular case as they have to look at many other cases that's before them so that could add an additional delay to the investigations. And I'm not here to make excuses on behalf of the Trinidad Police Service. I am just telling the public what the reality is right now. The police service does not have unlimited resources. And that is why a lot of these investigations go beyond what we would call a reasonable amount of time. So if that information is correct and that type of evidence does exist, it would be scrutinized and it would add to any um information that is said before the dpp so that when prosecution takes place that all of that is going to be present I, that is the reality and that will be that last part is going to be what i expect but as it relates to what it is you present remember you don't know where that information came from you don't know what has been added unless you spoke to the victims themselves you and the victims told you that then it is something that i can't appreciate as evidence or information just yet until we hear it coming out but again what you are alluding to as well is the fact that the Toronto Bigo police service does not provide information in a timely manner i remember when um the two commissioners that would have been mr um gibbs and mr griffith they would have engaged the media weekly and let the media know this is what's happening with certain investigations so that way there was a lot of information coming out so we the public were informed we the public um could be you know trusting of what is coming out but since that every other commissioner especially the ones born here have been shunning the media and they they send out these um weekly facebook uh, uh sorry timely facebook posts of investigations and stuff like that and that's not enough as an update we have an issue in this country where public officials feel as though they are not accountable to us and this is where the change needs to take place now the template is there so if i have to turn this conversation and say so what do we do now we have to implore from the commissioner of police to recognize that we the public are your customers we the public are your stakeholders we the public are the ones that have to have confidence in you mm. and if you are to gain our confidence you have to be more forthcoming with information not to compromise an investigation but let us know because it's your responsibility to let us know what what is happening within your organization unfortunately according to what mr griffith keeps reminding us is that the current commissioner when she was evaluated was seen to be wanting in the areas of media uh, of her media presence mm -hmm. she did not know how to conduct an interview so that is why she hides away from the camera unfortunately for us as well what she's very good at which probably did not come out of the um of the the evaluation when she was going to before commissioner was that she's a very good party organizer she has held what two or three parties since then but we are not concerned about parties, Madam Commissioner. We are concerned about crime. Now, I am not one to come and say the crime is as a result of the Commissioner of Police. That is not the issue. But the Commissioner of Police runs the police service, which has a big impact on what happens with our perception of crime. Mm -hmm. And she is not doing her job. 
Well, I, I, I think the, the jury is out. Because if you ask the commissioner to rate herself, which she has been asked to do, she rates her performance as excellent. Um, but then I guess to himself, to himself. The point that you're, you're raising about the accountability is one that we've belabored on the program for so many times. And it's not just the commissioner. It's with all, it seems to be all heads when it comes to um, all of these organizations. We just don't have it. And there are, there are no mechanisms, really and truly, to hold some of these office holders to account. And Mr. Barnes, this is where we're going to have to leave our conversation this morning. It's been pretty interesting, and uh, we'll have further conversations moving forward. I want to thank you for your time this morning, and your frank uh, approach to, to the discussion was welcome. Thank you once again for being with us here this morning. And thank you for having me on the 106.5 family. Um, I did enjoy our conversation. Thanks very much, and... Have a good one. And all the best for you for the season. Ladies and gentlemen, we drop our curtains on our interview here this morning.